Assalamu alaikum. May the peace that only God can give be upon you. Good evening. Happy Friday. You are listening to Radio Islam, and I'm your host, Tariq Alameen. For those of you who are new to Radio Islam, welcome. This is good music to first come in on. I like this. Uh, we are a live call-in talk show broadcasting from Chicago on WCEV 1450 AM. And you can hear our live stream at www.wcev1450.com. And remember, you can also check us out on TuneIn. If you've got the TuneIn app, uh, just look up WCEV and you will run right into us. If you haven't already done so, keep up with us on social media by following and liking us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Uh, we're at Radio Islam USA. That's at Radio Islam USA. If you have a comment or question you'd like to pose throughout the course of tonight's discussion, we'd love to hear from you. Give us a call at 312-750-1178. That's 312-750-1178. Radio Islam family, it is 2018. I'm not going to say Happy New Year because it's the fifth day, so I think at a certain point you have to stop. Uh, but as I've been telling you this week, we've got some new things in store for you. We started the Radio Slime Book Club where we'll be reading a book and having a live in-studio panel discussion about that book at the end of the month. And we have started off with a classic when it comes to Islam in the United States, the autobiography of Malcolm X, as told to Alex Haley. Now, there is a link to the book on our Facebook page and we'll be having that panel discussion in studio, as I mentioned to you, uh, on Friday, January 26th. So if you're reading along with us, feel free to inbox us your comments or questions or just call in during the live broadcast. Now, tonight is also another first. It is our first edition of Movie Talk with Bubba Murray. That's right, Movie Talk. We are into it. Let me tell you a little bit about him before he gets on. <laughs> See, he is raring to go. <laughs> Bubba Murray is an award-winning writer, director, hailing from Oak Park, Illinois. His background includes receiving the ABC Writing Fellowship, writing for Desperate Housewives. Ah, yeah, we remember that. Participating in the NBC Diversity Scene Showcase twice and being accepted into the Fox Writing Initiative. Most recently, his short film, Robox, won the Best Children's Film in the 2017 International Black Film Festival. Bubba serves as both lead content and social media director for Burma Task Force, and we welcome him to the show. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm burning to get going. All right. I'm excited. <laughs> good stuff, good stuff. So before we get into um, how Netflix is changing Hollywood or Bright or any other stuff that we're going to talk about, uh, let's yeah. talk about you a little bit. So you've got a pretty impressive bio, but and I know that that's, that's shortened, <laughs> but... It's, um, so let, let me start with this. Uh, let's talk a little bit about your the award-winning children's short film, Robox. What's the what's the premise? Great, great, great. Uh, well, Robox, it was um, a short film about an imaginary friend who goes on a cross-country journey to find the boy who created him. Oh, wow. So it's, and I'd say it was influenced by, I'd say the most, let's say a movie like uh, The Red Balloon. I don't know if you're familiar with that. It's a 19, I want to say, 60s short film about a little boy with a balloon that comes to life. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, uh, Beasts of the Southern Wild, uh, Where the Wild Things Are. Those are the oh, types okay. of movies that I thought about when I put this together. Okay. So it's it's live action. We Good. It's a live action with some um, CG or some computer animation. 
Okay. But what I really wanted was it to have this sort of just a, a natural kind of clunky feel to it where it seems really natural. So we have just uh, like four actors or so in it. I, I have a cameo appearance, yeah. but uh, the main characters are Robox, the young boy, and his mom. Mm. So, uh, again, the mom and the boy, real people. Mm-hmm. And with Robox, what we did is we, we created a giant ro- cardboard Robox about a six foot tall suit had a person in there and then they they just brought it to life so that it, I also think about things like banana splits if All if right. any of you are old enough or young enough at heart to remember that <laughs> yeah uh, there's just nothing better than seeing somebody in a goofy suit falling around you know right. that's that is true entertainment so that's yeah. that's what we put into that movie and it, it was really it's it did really well uh, like I said we won that award we've actually gotten into quite a few festivals it's done really well in India. Really? Yeah, and India's really big in children's film festivals. So I was really happy about that. So Robox has gone international. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so that's that was the most recent one. And uh, yeah, it's if anybody wants to find out about it, we do have a web or we have a Facebook page called okay. Robox Adventures. And we're still pushing the sea to get it into more film festivals. And then after the festival circuit, runs its course that's usually about a year or two then we'll see about trying to do more with it and i'm I'm, i really like the characters and i really like the story Mm -hmm. and i don't think there's enough children's uh, content out there right so i'd really like to see if we can either expand it as a movie or web series maybe go into just short books with it but it's it's a really fun character, and the thing is, it really focuses on imagination, and that's one of the reasons I wanted to do it. Right. Just to have a story that is just about opening your mind and being uh, flexible, right. uh, just enjoying life and and taking seeing something that seems very blah or what you're used to, and looking at it in a different way. So let me ask you this: How long? What's what's the runtime on it? Because I don't know what is oh, the. Uh, what, this is you know how, what how, how long does a film have to be considered a short okay. film? So for a short film, it's generally less than thirty minutes. Okay. This one runs like fourteen minutes and fifty nine seconds, okay. and and nowadays for a short film that's actually like kind of long, they people are targeting maybe eight minutes for a short film. Wow. But I guess I look at it as. Story trumps everything. So even if your short is a little longer, if you've got a good story, it's not going to feel eight minutes. I mean, it's not going to feel 15 minutes. It may feel like five minutes. If you've got a horrible short film, that three minutes can (laughs) seem like an hour. I I mean, time is relative. Yeah, so some commercials just, you you feel like that's a short story. You feel like you've been watching something for days thinking it's been about 30 seconds. Like a bad infomercial. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, let me ask you, because you mentioned about the the lack of content for children, Mm -hmm. uh, for that audience. Uh, You've also written for Desperate Housewives. Um, Which do you prefer? Which is is easier or more natural for you if you had to choose between the two, writing for an adult audience or writing for uh, for, uh, children? I would say writing for an adult audience is a little bit easier because in some ways it's your peer and you don't necessarily have to censor yourself. You can sometimes cut to the 
cheap joke really easily because you're, again you're not concerned about how you're going to influence them right those those jokes or those those uh pardon me those uh uh experiences that rattle around in the back of your head that influence you like they might be great for your 20 30 year olds but a six-year-old may not get it you also have to and it's and then you want to be able to spell things out a lot more a lot clearly or uh more clearly for a younger audience and there's a little more repetition for that because you want to tell them something make sure they've got it and you just want big and broad for them so it's so it can be a little more challenging writing for a younger audience. And, and my film was actually targeting, let's say, five to ten-year-olds. Mm-hmm. So it's really that young, young group. I, now, if once you start hitting tweens, you know, 12 to 16-year-olds. Yeah, that's my, my daughter's. That's I mean, range. that's kind of my mentality. Yeah. So it'd be kind of <laughs> a little bit easier once you hit that that range. Yeah. And that, that, what's funny is that um, – my daughters, well, at least my, my twins, they're 16. They don't like watching movies. They, uh, they say this, it's too long for them. So I guess they are more, whenever I, I'm looking at what they, they're watching, stuff on YouTube, and, and it's always something that's around 20, the 22, anything over 30 minutes they're oh. walking away from. Oh, yeah, I actually got in this big argument with my nephew because we were trying to get him to watch a movie. And yeah. he's, he's 12 years old now. And actually, he was in Robox. Oh really? Uh, okay. His name is uh, Nick Fernandez Murray. Just a little All right, shout for out. him. All right, Nick. But <laughs> he's really into these YouTube shows. Yeah. And it's it's harder for me because I really do like a story. I want to see something happen with a character, and when it's over three minutes, he just tunes out. And when we tried to get him to see this movie, that was his argument. He said, "Well, why would we want to sit here for an hour to see?" Someone stupid fall off a car. I want three minutes is enough. Come on, this is hilarious. Three minutes is all you need. <laughs> Come you know, on, you're man. killing me, kid. You're <laughs> killing me. Well, let me ask this. Uh, so, Robox was less than 15 minutes. Correct. Right? Just uh, and And the thing about film, which I found really interesting, is that the finished product can be 15 minutes, but the actual production time and writing and filming, how much time did did that 15-minute product uh, actually take you? Okay, we shot, and it was a little long, we shot for nine days. And one of it was, one of the reasons it took so long, that was a considerable amount of time, mm-hmm. because we had a lot of location shots. One, with the premise of this ro- of Robox going across the country mm-hmm. to find the boy, what I wanted to do was take advantage of the different landscapes in Illinois. So what we did is we traveled all to all the different parts of Illinois that just looked different. Right. And each trip is a couple hours when you're moving crew, cast, and everything. Yeah. So you might only get to two spots a day just to have a shot of, like, Robox walking across the Fox River Bridge. Really? So, yeah. So, it, so I would say for just footage-wise from what you see on film, you might have a five-to-one or seven to one ratio mm-hmm. but that seven to one it's still going to take you hours and hours to set up wow yeah yeah okay uh now we didn't mention this uh in your bio but you also have some experience um in working with one of the major talent agencies yes uh, yeah. 
<laughs> I used to work at an agency called UTA, uh, mm-hmm. United Talent Agency. Yeah. I worked in the TV lit department. Mm-hmm. And I got to say, it was, it was an incredible experience. I really enjoyed it. But one of the things I found, when I was there, I did not think I was going to be the best agent because I would look at the work and say, oh, I can do better than this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I didn't know if I'd be the best <laughs> proponent for them. Uh, because it, it's still, when, when you get into the agency, a lot of the um, luster of the entertainment business wears off, and you do see it for what it is. It is business. It is sales. You're selling celebrity. You're selling you're, you're selling entertainment like you're selling cookies at the grocery store. Mm. You've got your A-listers that would be on the top shelf and your B-C-listers that are going to be the medium or middle or bottom shelves. And so from that end, I saw how the agents were pushing their clients, which clients they were pushing, which clients they weren't, how they recognized talent, what they believed talent was. So some ways it was exciting, in some ways it's disheartening because as a business, you're usually following a trend. Mm. You're not setting the trend. They're waiting for something to get popular so then they can make money off of it profit. So sometimes you feel like you can't necessarily take as many risks as you'd like to uh, when you're looking at an artist because you want to make sure they're going to get work or make sure they're going to get a job because that's going to reflect on you. So that's so that, that was just the business part that I saw. And then it's an ego-driven business, so there were just crazy stories of – how agents can just be insane throwing things uh i i remember the first day i walked in the the office there was this agent he was about not that matters how tall you are but he's about five foot four you know guy in his 30s and he was just laying into his assistant who was this six foot five guy and he was throwing his manila folders at him and saying what's wrong with you through manila Papers flying all everywhere, then made the guy pick up all the papers, give them back to him just because he filed something wrong. So you've got wow. a lot of wow. hot egos who are running around in the business. Uh, but a lot of the things you've seen on TV or, or uh, I always think about this show called Entourage where you have the right. Jer- Jeremy Piven character who played Ari Gold. Mm-hmm. Ari Gold is a quintessential like agent. You see that guy a lot. He's really? not a caricature. That guy is real. So he and exists. He does exist. And I think Jeremy Piven even held back a little bit because mm. these guys are really intense. Uh, you're going to be eating a lot of uh, Pepto-Bismol or something because they're, they're really uh, amped up just trying to get the sale, trying to get the job going. So you mentioned something really interesting. We're going to get into this when we come back. We're going to take a short break. But you mentioned how they're riding the wave and they're not really, um, they're not really setting the trend, right? So that's going to lead us into this next part of our conversation, as far as how is Netflix uh, in influencing that, that that type of dynamic. Our Radio Slam family, we're here. This is Movie Talk with Bubba Murray. Uh, we're going to take a short break and we'll be right back. Kids are coming to the forest, and it's up to us to make their visit a good one. Sparrow, have you practiced the most popular bird songs for the year? Of course. 
catchy. I like it. River, how's the temperature? It's a refreshing 52 degrees, man. I love it. Uh, Turtle. He's not here yet, man. Uh, he's late every morning. Okay. Squirrel. The forest has been preparing just for you. To learn more about cool things to do in the forest, visit discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. I knew I was stuck at this kid's house for the night, but those guys snuck up on me to try and pull the hand in a bowl of warm water trick. Well, that was enough for me. I went downstairs to sleep in the basement, even though it was pitch black. I left my sleeping bag upstairs, and that was a mistake, because it was freezing. I think it was probably the longest night of my life. To read more about the sleepover, check out Diary of a Wimpy Kid, The Last Straw by Jeff Kenny. Explore new worlds and check out more cool books at your local library. And visit read.gov. Brought to you by the Library of Congress and the Ad Council. Assalamu alaikum. Sound Vision is starting a new initiative to provide crisis intervention to those in need. Through the crisis text line, anyone can text 741-741 and be connected via text to a trained crisis counselor who is there to listen and show empathy. The crisis text line is open to everyone. By texting the keyword SALAM, that's S-A-L-A-M, to 741-741, users will be connected to a trained Muslim counselor whenever available. You can also volunteer to undergo training and become a counselor. For more information, visit soundvision.com. Welcome back. Welcome back to Radio Slam. I'm your host, Harry Kalameen. This is Movie Talk with Bubba Murray. That's right. You heard it right. Movie Talk. It's Bubba. <laughs> so we just got through talking about these these crazy uh, these crazy agents. Oh yeah. Uh, <laughs> but um, Let's get into because, like I said, you mentioned something really important, uh, at least for me, mm-hmm. in, yes. in uh, creativity as opposed to mimicry. Uh, you know, you see something that, that looks good, that's, that's taking a hold of uh, the public attention, and you want to push as much as you can of that out. Right. Um, Netflix, uh, and, and, and it's been said that this is a great time for television, if you, because there's just so, in my opinion, there's so much, so much great programming out there. Mm. Uh, and I think Netflix and streaming services like that are a big part of that. What do you? What What is your? What is your initial opinion uh, as you look at how film production has changed and uh, programming has changed? What What do you think? Well, I definitely believe these streaming services, Netflix, Hulu, they are pushing the the industry, especially the television industry, the way that they used to talk about HBO. Mm-hmm. Or Showtime as the to be place to see television, right. and I think one of the main reasons is that Netflix they will give power to the the creator to the artist, mm-hmm. and in doing that, they're going to attract now higher quality, higher level talent. I mean, we're going to talk about Bright later, but sure. you know, two years ago, you would not think of Will Smith doing a straight to Netflix project. No, you had. Um, You've had projects with, even though he's a little maligned now, but Kevin Spacey and uh, I'm trying to think of some others. But get, you're getting A-listers, directors, writers, actors who want 
to be more creative. Yeah. And Netflix will give them that opportunity. And then on Netflix end, you know, they don't have to pay as much because they're servicing the artist's ego. And that's not a negative thing. <laughs> and the ego of saying as an artist, like, I want to create, I want to get something new out there, but I want it to be shown. When you get a project on a network, for example, like an ABC, there's a chance your show may only go on one time and then you'll get canceled. And then you're desperately hoping that you might get a full year with Netflix. They let these guys know, you know, they're, the suits aren't going to come in and have a whole lot of uh, creative notes. There's a good chance they may get a one or two year or two season, let's say, commitment right off the bat. So if you've got that creative freedom, you don't, you're not worrying so much about just <laughs> pleasing the audience to get numbers. You're just worried about making sure you get the best content out there. And so and then, then that gives you a whole nother level of creative freedom. So what are some of the what are some of the the, the, the mainstream studio uh, obstacles that come up? Somebody pitches a pilot, <laughs> uh, uh, an idea, and they get a, a deal for a pilot or whatever, and they they run the pilot and then the show gets canceled after two or three episodes. <laughs> what are, what are the things that come up that that lead to to that show not really being able to, you know, maybe see it, find its way or, you know, come into its own. What are some of those things? Well, sometimes I think it can be you've got too much interference. So you're trying to uh, appeal to too wide of an audience. Mm -hmm. And that can be death for a creative. You try and make everybody happy and then you end up making everyone miserable. So you have some of these shows that try so hard to recreate something that someone else did because they already saw that this was a successful model that if they don't do it right or they don't bring something new to it it falls flat because it just appears to be a retread you don't see the effort in it and then you might have an executive who wants a specific actor or someone else who comes in and doesn't necessarily like the tone of the piece. So they're going to make these little tweaks. But again, they aren't artists. They aren't writers. Mm -hmm. A lot of the people are what you'd call a development person. So they never wrote a script in their life. They may have just read a script and they've just been around it a while, but they haven't put in the time. They haven't, they haven't, been on stage they haven't seen how an audience reacts they just maybe have seen how some of the numbers go and they may have seen a type of show do well so they want that type but i I think when you lose that the artist's hand in it and you leave it more to again the suits the number crunchers who are again just trying to put that product out there maybe that that's where things don't necessarily catch on product placement is big so sometimes you have to have a show that is going to uh in a regular sur- studio you mean in a, in a regular studio okay. yeah. i mean but there's a little bit worse where they're gonna have to service the product more so now and i know in the netflix or things like that that's they also use that but because that might be the only thing they have to tweak mm-hmm. you've got less external pressures but if you're dealing with uh, again, product placement, and you're dealing with studio notes, and you're dealing with topics that aren't even from an artist's perspective. 
that's, I think, how you start to dilute the quality of the project. Mm. So, <clears throat> so Netflix uh, and these streaming services, these offer kind of they're kind of getting the middleman out of the way. Well, not the middle, the, the meddlers. Yes. Okay. Um, he, I'll, I'll say this. I've been, I don't know if I'm surprised or not, but I've just taken note of the fact that I've seen some network shows that have gotten dropped and then were picked up by streaming services. One in particular, there's a show, um, The Mindy Project. Okay, yeah. Right? And you see that was on, who was running it? I don't know if that was a Fox uh, show or not. I think that was Fox. Yeah. And then Hulu picked it up. Mm-hmm. And, and and you know they're they're still running. Uh, what are some of the things? Are, are they just simply looking at that there there is a there is an audience obviously there, um, and they figure that it's in their interest to just say, okay we're gonna we're gonna green light it keep it going. Well, it's it's rough. It's it's difficult because sometimes some projects just may not be great for a network. Mm-hmm. So Mindy Kaling, she's very talented. She just might be a very you know, I said you need to be specific, but sometimes that can also be your death knell. She might have a certain sensibility mm-hmm. that I think was maybe worked on The Office. She was on The Office. Yeah. And then, but then when you bring it, to when you're just focusing on her, the, the mainstream audience isn't going to react to it fast enough. It's not to say it's not good, but... You may not get those numbers that the the studio was looking for right away. And someone like her, she's got a lot of pressure coming from a show like The Office. She's a writer. She's a director. She brings a lot to the table, so you know there's more expected of her. And if you don't get those numbers right away, then they'll say, "Oh no, we can't invest in this." You know, Hulu, mm-hmm. they can say, "We like you. We know you've got an audience. We know we'll bring people to you." And for our type of service, in a sense, we have a friendlier audience. They're a little more tech savvy. They're a little younger. You know, these are the Conan O'Brien people. They aren't the Jay Leno people. So <laughs> right, right. they're going to go in and and they are invested in seeing her. And you've already also got millions of other subscribers, in a sense, who are already invested in the programming. So they will watch her show, too. So with Hulu, they don't have anything to lose. You bring in a talent like that, you're actually probably going to raise subscription rates. Or subscription numbers versus the network where you're just getting looking for eyeballs for advertisers. You may not get that bump that you need. So then it becomes this weird number game and how you leverage that. And so in some ways you can't have incredibly high quality programming. You, you, you've got you've got this delicate balance of what's going to make money and what's going to attract I would say a dedicated audience, not just the one time and then they go away. Cause, mm-hmm. Because because Jay Leno, if you remember, they wouldn't let him. I mean, he was able to come back to the Tonight Show after he left because he brought in those those network viewers. Right. But those network viewers were basically, you know, they're sixty. They were older, sixty-five, uh, white male. Similar to, I'm not going to get political, but <laughs> but you know, just a certain demographic right. that uh, may just again bump up those numbers mm-hmm. for the 
for the viewers, just again on the, on the um, in the network sense, but they may not be the ones who subscribe to things. Right. So we got a few things that are that are going. We got one. Uh, we have we have age uh, as sort of an indicator as to how they're being they're engaged with these new platforms. Uh, you don't expect the older generation to be as active on platforms like Netflix and Hulu and Crackle and all of these other ones. Um, Correct, because you're teaching people. I mean, with this type of viewing, too, you're teaching people a new way to watch. Right. So, again, if you're just used to turning on the TV with the remote, you're comfortable with that. Now I've got to now I've got to watch on a computer. I watch on my phone. I've got to get some little thing I stick in the TV so I can watch on the internet. What's that about? So it's 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 sometimes harder to train a new audience yeah. just to get to your content. Just give me my DVDs. Yeah. <laughs> so. Give me my VHS. Where's my laser um, disc? So you mentioned the, the creativity aspect, the servicing the artist's ego, right? The writers and uh, the, the directors and the, um, the actors. Um, do you think that we'll see more of these, quote-unquote, A-listers uh, moving into, uh, you know, into Netflix uh, or Amazon? I mean, because I looked up, I don't know if you consider him an A-lister or not. I mean, he's just been around for a long time. Uh, Jeffrey uh, Tambor. Okay. Um, he's in a show. Actually, he was in Arrested Development for quite a while. Right. And then he went to another show on Amazon. Um, Transparent. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, I mean, you, I could probably think of at least 10 folks that have been around for at least 10, but are now... On, on series that are on these streaming services. Yeah, so a Twilight, so people in their Twilight who are making a comeback, uh, Lily Tomlin and Jane Fonda. Yeah. You, you know, the, was it Frankie and, um, Frankie, yeah. I, yeah, I know the show. I think, well, but they've got their show. Right. Uh, but yes, I, I think you're going to see more of that. I think you're going to see more A-listers, and then I think some of the A-listers who are on the downturn will use this as a way to keep themselves relevant. I think one of the benefits to the artist from a Netflix is that these people also become executive producers. They they have they get to be kind of the suit of their own project. Hmm. So when they have that creative stake, that ownership, right. they're more excited to be part of that project because they're setting themselves up for the long term. And when I say long term, I'm talking about syndication, making money you will be able to get some money on the back end, meaning when they sell that show after it's gone through its initial run, it might go on network television. You, you know, mm. if it's if it's been after it's been canceled on Netflix. Right. When that money comes in, now as an owner, you get a percentage of that because you've been an executive producer. But this is something they're gonna offer you up front. It's not something that you have to wait a couple of years to get. Right. Or traditionally, it was only a, it was the sitcoms where you had the one comedian who was the the front man, like Jerry Seinfeld or Ray Romano. They had all of it, and right. then they might be the executives might parcel some stuff out later. But this is right from the beginning. You've got that ownership, and as I was saying before. It's going to be on the air longer. You don't have to worry. So I don't want to be an A-lister going maybe to a network show where I have a chance to get canceled. But if I go, I'm an A-lister who goes to a Netflix show where I might get 
two years guaranteed. It's, again, another way to service the ego and everybody benefits because you've got quality in, you've got it going for a while, you've got a loyal fan base who's going to stick around to see that person. Mm-hmm. Netflix, they're looking at, hey, we got this big name, we're going to get a few more subscribers. It, the hard part for them is getting that subscriber in. Like, how often do you unsubscribe to something? That's true. <laughs> I'm still paying $20 every month for Ancestry.com. And I haven't, I have not used that in six months. I'm, I'm, I'm ashamed of myself. I've got that, TiVo. But. I'm still paying for TiVo. <laughs> I got to get rid of that. TiVo? So, really? Is, is it still around? I forgot. I, it's not. I forgot I had it. And then I always look at the, like, TiVo. What is it? You know, I'm thinking it's like a gaming service. Like, oh, yeah, that's right. See, I I don't want to go off on a tangent here, but, like, that's theft, right? I mean, there has to be, like, a a minimum login. If you're not logging in at least twice a month, you know, cut cut a guy a break. (laughs) Cut a guy a break. I don't know. Uh, Radio Slam family, if you'd like to give us a call, we're at 312-750-1178. That's 312-750-1178. Let me ask this, because you mentioned this. uh, You mentioned the idea of syndication. Right now, I'm used to seeing shows that were on network uh, television on streaming services. I mean, a lot of a, a, a big portion of their their catalog is things that have you know that, that have been canceled. Um, I mean, well, I, I think maybe earlier on, but uh, but I had not considered the opposite, where shows that are that are being uh, that are greenlit on on Netflix or Hulu could at a certain point after they end their run mm-hmm. be syndicated out onto network. I had not even thought about and that. Then, and I, I haven't seen it happen much, but we're still so early in this. You know, right. the rules are still being written. Right. And even if you check out some of the syndication rules, well, and then and we're, I mean, a lot of this is television talk, less movie talk, which is still fine. But yeah. just to say, when you, syndication, you should just be for sitcoms. Right. They felt that you know you have an hour long show that's not going to carry. Now you know now you see a lot of hour long shows being syndicated. The rule used to be also a hundred episodes before you can start selling something. I've seen now where shows that were canceled in you know after one or two years are syndicated on network. They just show them very quickly. So there's so many more rules to it. And the thing is, I think with some of these shows that 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 were old network shows that got canceled early. This property really belongs to the studios more so than the individuals or the actors. Mm. You know, they, they weren't there long enough to, to cash in and get that executive producing or that producing credit so they could get money. Right. So the few that did do it, they keep, they'll sell it for less, but they still get more of that pot and the studios who made the shows are happy. So that's content that they're, they're happy to dole it out because they're going to get money back from it. Right. So, again, money, it's the business. Money is going to drive that whole thing. How can you make money? So if we can get more content out quicker, that's a success. That's that's a plus. How do we figure out a way to do that? And so, but Netflix, they're going back to them, but they're doing a great job of let's get quality people in. So then once we get our shows going, people are going to crave it more so than um, some of the network fare. Speaking of quality people, Radio Slime family, when we come back, we're going to talk about one of those quality folks that Netflix has snared that um, 
I certainly didn't see that happening. Uh, we're talking about Will Smith. Uh, so we're going to get into talking about Bright. When we come back, we're going to take a short break. This is Radio Slime, our new segment, Holy Talk with Bubba Murray. Back in a minute. will spend 10 minutes copying everything their sibling says. You're such a doofus. doofus. How about two minutes to brush their teeth? Brushing for two minutes now can save your child from severe tooth pain later. For fun two-minute videos to watch while brushing, visit 2min2x.org. Two minutes, twice a day. They have the time. Mom! Mom. A message from the Partnership for Healthy Mouths, Healthy Lives, and the Ad Council. This is a guided meditation on parenting. Take this time to breathe deeply. Close your eyes. Right now, you're completely in control. Unlike the time you and your son played basketball and you attempted to slam dunk. Or when you tried removing those raccoons from the basement. Concentrate on the soothing sound of my voice. Release the memory of when you wrestled with that beehive in your son's treehouse. Let go of the time you thought that skunk was a cat or when you pulled into the garage with your son's bike on top of the car. Deep breaths. Deep breaths. You don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. There are thousands of teens in foster care who don't need perfection. They need you. For more information on how you can adopt, visit AdoptUSKids.org. A public service announcement from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Adopt U.S. Kids, and the Ad Council. <laughs> Assalamu alaikum. May the peace that only God can give be upon you. Welcome back to Radio Islam. I'm your host, Tariq El Amin, and tonight we are having movie talk with Bubba Murray. Uh, and I also quickly, before we get back to our conversation, remind you, if you haven't already done so, make sure that you are following and liking us on social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, all at the same username, at Radio Islam USA. That is at Radio Islam USA. And if you would like to give us a call, we'd love to answer the phone. Give us a call at 312-750-1178. That's 312-750-1178. Now, we mentioned before we went to and took that break and and i've got to tell you i don't know um who was a little might have been thrown off a little bit by that but that that our intro music that threw me off for a second it threw me off because it just i didn't know it was time to come back on i was just like wow this is this is really interesting um but we talk about some of the talent that uh that these streaming services like netflix have pulled they're pulling i mean will smith is a well, if you look at his his body of work, I mean, he's got a really impressive body of work. He hasn't had a real huge blockbuster in a while, but he's definitely a respected yeah. talent. He's still Will Smith. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's still his, Will his Smith. name still will carry a movie. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And for them to get him for Bright, I was just really surprised when I saw. It's like, wow, Will Smith is on Netflix, and I started to. I almost, I almost had that thought of, oh man, what's going on? Why, why is he here? <laughs> you know. What, and, what is that saying? Yeah, and the funny thing is when I first heard about that project, too, you know, again, just quickly, 
yeah. checking the credits, I'm thinking maybe it's just Will Smith. Right. And, like, it's a one-man show. Right. David Ayer, the director yeah. from Suicide Squad. You Training know. Day. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he's, he wrote and directed it. And mm-hmm. I know you go IMDb him. You have seen one of the movies he's written or directed. He's And he is an action director. Right. Uh, You've got uh, Nomi Ripas, who's the she plays the evil elf in there, but she was the original girl with the dragon tattoo. Oh, get out of here! Yeah, really? Okay. Far superior than the American version. <laughs> if you get a chance, see the Swedish version. It's really yeah. good. Now, see, that's going to be a conversation. We're going to have to have just a whole conversation on some of the remakes um, and how they just they just kind of drop. And one, I'm going to throw it out. I mean, we'll talk about that later on, but Old Boy. Oh, yeah, that's a... Old Boy. I mean, they did a remake with uh, Josh Brolin, but the original, just hands down, so much better. The, yeah, there, yeah. yeah. But, but, but no, the, we yeah, will we'll yeah. stop. Yeah. Let me stop <laughs> right. right now. <laughs> yeah. So you, you were talking about just some of the folks that were associated with the project. Oh, yeah, but can, you have David Ayer, even on... The, even some of the minor characters, like Margaret Cho, she's in that. So there are a lot of names. Margaret Cho. Yeah, Not she, the, she was a former comedian? I think she's still a comedian. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay, I see. I haven't seen her do a stand-up in a long time. But, but no, she's but she, she's while. in there. So there, there are a lot of names here and there that you would not recognize, or well, that you'll recognize. So right. it, solid cast, solid <clears throat> solid crew, you know, directors. Uh, so I, I, I was pleasantly surprised to see that, so... It lets you know that Netflix is serious. They're really trying to take on the studio. So where before, mm-hmm. they're trying to attack the television uh, studios with their television programming. Right. I feel like their next phase with this is now we're going to try and hit the movie studios. Coming after Hollywood. Yeah, so we're we're trying to have our own tent poles. And it's, I mean, it's around now, do you want to go out into, was it the the snow bomb or the polar bomb <laughs> or the, right or would you rather sit at home uh, pop into the journals and watch bright you know like if, if you've got the choice right you may want to stay home and see you, you know this higher quality type of movie mm-hmm. and so they're they are really seriously trying or they they are seriously going after the movie dollars not just the tv eyes right you know? Those, they're getting trying to get those seats back at home rather than having them go out there to the theaters. Now I didn't check I didn't check the credits on Bright. I mean, other than looking at the cast, mm-hmm. right? Um, was Will Smith? Is does he have an executive uh, producer credit on this? Oh, you know, I have to double check. I believe he did. Okay, but I'm gonna have to. I want to double check. I don't want to say the wrong thing and then have right. people come yelling at me. Yeah, but I believe he was a producer on that one, too. Yeah, I, w- I definitely wouldn't be surprised. That's one thing I will say. I, I do know this about uh, a lot of the movies that he has made uh, is that he's, I don't know if it's an executive, executive producer credit he gets, but he's he has that in his contract where he gets paid on the, on the back end. Well, he should. I mean, he, again, he is an, he's a known name. He's got the cachet now where, again, you say it's a Will Smith movie. That's the reason people are going to go see it. Right. And good or bad, you're going to get people in that first weekend. Yeah. Now we'll see what happens the next weekend, but he will 
you, you're gonna it's 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 going to raise the caliber of that film just to know that he's associated with it. So that's a coup, a huge coup for Netflix. Now the only person I was not aware of and I had to look him up a, a second was Joel Edgerton or Egerton, um, the, the the who played oh, Jacoby, right, right, and in, in Brighton. I was and I had to look and I say, oh, this guy, he was in a uh, Black Mask, which mm-hmm. I did. I saw that. Uh, with uh, Johnny Depp uh, and Warrior, mm-hmm. which I've seen trailers for. I think it's one of those uh, UFC, UFC mixed martial arts okay, type yeah, movies. Yeah, oh yeah. Um, but I, he's probably the one person that I was just totally unaware of. You know, like who this guy? You know, mm-hmm. who is he? But um, but what are your thoughts about the film? I, I thought I, I I enjoyed it personally. But what do you think no, about I mean, it from a filmmaking standpoint? In the in the big picture, I thought it was kind of pretty standard cinematic fare. You know, you've got this. Uh, you, you you know you, you you've got this fantasy world and this sort of economic caste system. Right. And again, this movie set in fantasy L.A. where humans, orcs, and elves were living together. Right. So I thought that was creative. You know, it's cute, but <laughs> no, no. But to say is. Where it could have been very plain, I thought they did a really good job of pairing the two characters. I thought, for me, uh, Joel Etherton, you know, Jacoby, he was the he was my favorite character. I really liked how uh, his character had played with Will Smith. And just to give you a little background, as I explain it, sure. the again, the story focuses on the relationship between two mismatched police officers. Mm-hmm. Now, Will Smith plays a battle-scarred cop named Daryl Ward, who's a human, mm-hmm. and he's forced to partner with uh, a diversity hire who's an orc right. named Nick Jacoby. And so throughout the movie, the plot is these two come across this elf named Tika who discovers this wand, mm-hmm. but the wand was stolen from this ruthless elf named Lila. Or Layla, I believe. I'm sorry. Yeah. Played by Nomi Replace, who I was talking about earlier. Now, she needs this wand to bring forth this evil elf dark lord and take over the world. Mm-hmm. So that just gives you the main story. So that's why I say this seems this standard, you know, big budget fair. There's a big weapon. Everybody's trying to get it. Right. But the way uh, Etherton played Jacoby, he was very optimistic, but still sort of brutish about it and that's i really enjoyed almost he had a almost a childlike naivete about him because this was this guy who in this hierarchy of los angeles the orcs are the lowest ones i mean now they're a little stereotypical they're the gang bangers they're wearing the jerseys they were black they were black guys yes yeah you've got your humans who kind of play both ends of the lower class and upper class and the elves who are privileged Mm mm-hmm but yeah, I overall though I thought they did a solid job of establishing this world, setting themselves up for a really fun like you know comic book romp or con- so I, I you know I did want to see more. Now I was a little disappointed about the backstory. I didn't really get the whole Dark Lord the war the war that happened before. Yeah, so they yeah, and I'm guessing maybe this is something they're going to talk about when they get in. It, to the next film because it's been greenlit. Uh, Bright Two has been greenlit. Yeah. But yeah, I I, I thought overall uh, it was surprisingly entertaining. Uh, I think David Ayer brought a really 
gritty sensibility to this fantasy world. Mm-hmm. And but I'd say this was uh, District 9 meets Harry Potter. Mm. Okay, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I but I I, I thought it worked really well and I'm and I'm assuming Netflix did too because right away they signed yeah, up got on right a sequel. To it. Yeah. You know, um I guess I always look at movies in terms of the the message. Mm-hmm. And I felt like I felt like they were trying really hard to get people to look at their own biases. Uh I mean, and I don't think there was anything original necessarily about the idea of the other. Right. Um and that's why I say the orcs were basically you know, the, stereotypically, they they were in a black white dominant society. Yeah, they were the they were the black body. guys, right? But uh, it, what I did find interesting was Jacoby uh, this this struggle where he put himself in a position. I think very much like a lot of um, like a lot of black police police officers, maybe a, a generation ago in particular. Um, I don't know as much now, but certainly um, it, when they were like with the first one to come on, where they were kind of reviled by their own community and rejected by their fellow officers. Uh, that was, I, I thought that was a really interesting. Well, I feel like with that storyline, Air was kind of treading in familiar territory. Yeah. Because you, you're not, not, well, spoiler alert, so <laughs> it's just that they're references. There are a lot of references to Rampart. Yeah. And some of those things that were going on in L.A. in the 90s, let's say. But th- that that's this whole idea of I'm a, you know, I'm getting out of the gang and then coming into the police force. So we've got these stories that we've seen, but again, we've twisted them. Right. But, yeah, they they did have that theme of of racial identity and classes and classism. And you've got to look beyond that. Right. I think they right. hit more of that at the beginning especially uh, with Will Smith's character, which I did appreciate. He's sort of like an Archie Bunker to me, where <laughs> he's racist, yeah, but he's still trying to do the right thing. Uh, he know, It's kind of like he knows his views are wrong, and he's just trying to... He's not trying to hurt other people, but he's just going to keep his racist views. Hopefully, you know, let them be them. You do you. I do me. We'll be all good. Right. And... I thought that was an interesting take on the character rather than trying to have someone have this huge character arc where now he's going to love everyone and appreciate it. As we know, prejudice doesn't work that way. So I thought that was, if anything was unique, I thought that was unique in how they handled that where, again, uh, that Ward, that's the, that's uh, Will Smith's character's name. Mm-hmm. Daryl Ward, he didn't change his total outlook. Outlook, rather he expanded it. And I thought he was, I thought he demonstrated a lot of uh, principle, commitment mm-hmm. to principle. Uh, even as his fellow officers were saying, you know, we get rid of this guy, or we don't like mm-hmm. him. There was this element of, well, I have to deal with him, and mm-hmm. I'm not going to just, you know, throw him out just because you have a, a issue. And even if he had an issue himself, right. well, he did try to get another partner. <laughs> right. But, but I mean, he did, but th- that's why I'm saying he was still, he was, he still had his issues, Right. but he had a daughter. He was trying to get her out of that cycle. Mm-hmm. Now, 
going back to a critique, you know, we didn't see the daughter and we didn't see the wife or we didn't see uh, Will Smith's family after the first five minutes. Yeah, that was but uh, so, but I think that would have made it a little more interesting. But again, this this film takes place over like a one night cops on the beat trying to find the secret weapon. So we're very much like nec- training day. Yeah. So we're not going to necessarily go back to that. All right. All right. But yeah, I, I but I would recommend it. You mm-hmm. know, if if you're again, if you're at home and you want to stay away from the uh, polar bomb, the polar <laughs> vortex, bright is worthwhile. Yeah, yeah, and I'm I'm gonna definitely uh, agree with you. Um, I enjoyed it, and and you got to watch it at home. Yeah. So I, I think that as we do this more often, we're gonna have to figure out a cool rating system. Yes. So yes, <laughs> yes. But I, I think we're in agreement that it's worth watching. Oh, definitely. Yeah. 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 All right. Well, Bubba, thank you very much. Uh, we're looking forward to the next time. Uh, hey, well, we do thank this. you for having me. I'm, it's a pleasure to join the family. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Radio Slime family, we have come to the end of another edition of Radio Slime. This has been a, a new segment that we've, uh, we're unrolling our first week of 2018, Movie Talk with Bubba Murray. And uh, we're looking forward to our next time doing it. We pray that everybody has a great weekend. We look forward to seeing, uh, well, not seeing you, but talking to you this coming Monday. This month's coming Monday, we're going to have Junaid Ahmed on. Uh, he's going to talk to us about the situation in uh, Pakistan and U- United States uh, relations, foreign policy, all that good stuff. And we're also going to be talking with Sal- uh, Salahuddin Muhammad. He is the author of America's Imam, a book talking about uh, the late Imam Muhammad Muhammad. So uh, we look forward to you all joining us then. Uh, our, how do I go this? How do I say this? Oh, yes. Our good friends at WCV. Who was our engineer tonight? Leonard, thank you very much, sir. Um, our engineer in studio, the impressive one, as always, Ibrahim Beg. I'm your host and producer, Tar- Tariq el Our executive producer is Abdul Malik Mujahid. Uh, the viewpoints that have been expressed by your host and guests uh, are theirs and not to be taken as representative of Sound Vision, Inc., and I think that's about all I have to say. So I'm going to leave you all as I greeted you. Assalamu alaikum. May the peace that only God can give be upon you.